This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good Thursday afternoon, everyone. It's Brian Callahan again in for Linda, the lovely Linda, who uh, we can't wait to have back. But um, it's uh, you're stuck with me today and tomorrow. And as we inch into uh, regatta week next week, can't wait. Uh, so what's on to go today? This is News Talk. Slower day today on the police blotter, which I'll take any day. Um, as long as it's yesterday, it was a little bit um, all of a sudden, really. There were two uh, back-to-back uh, police incidents out um, outside of St. John's, really, but uh, one resolved, and the other is still curiously not. Um, they were looking for the, and I will say this off the top because it is very much, uh, you know, still an active uh, search. So uh, Tony Farrell, this gentleman, the RCMP are still asking the public to any uh, assistance they can give whatsoever to describe this, to find this gentleman described as armed, still armed and violent. Um, there were blockades last evening, but those have been taken down. So I guess. We can assume that uh, the risk is, well, I guess we should, you can never assume, really. But uh, given that this has turned into a, just a general search and there doesn't seem to be any uh, focused area um, after a lockdown yesterday, it just uh, seems uh, still kind of odd that uh, there's an armed and violent man out there and everything's sort of eased back a bit. So, you know, uh, I guess the, the rule here is to um, keep an eye on media, familiarize yourself with what he looks like and his... Um, uh, his appearance, we have his picture, of course, on our website, as do other media, uh, given the situation. And call 9-1 if you see him. Um, I would say there are enough people who might, so it's probably only a matter of time, let's hope. And hopefully it comes to a safe and peaceful resolution. Uh, just sticking with courts again, I just want to remind, tomorrow mornings, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, online postings and that sort of thing about tomorrow's bail hearing for uh, Douglas Snellgrove. That's going ahead in the province's appeal court tomorrow morning. And uh, again, Mr. Snellgrove is appealing his conviction for sexual assault. That's before the Supreme Court right now, which is considering whether to hear the appeal. And in the meantime, he remains in prison in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. So he's seeking to be released until the Supreme Court makes up its mind either A, to hear his appeal, or B, to accept that and then hear and sorry, to give him leave to appeal and then B, to actually hear it and the process that that and that could take months, easily months does take months. Uh, it takes about two or three months just to decide whether or not to hear the appeal, and then the appeal itself would take more months. So you can see uh, he's seeking bail now and hoping hoping to get a favorable favorable review. My mouth is having trouble talking. It's definitely, I blame everything on the heat. Uh, hopefully a favorable outcome he is hoping for um, and to be released pending the whole process of the Supreme Court of Canada if it goes that far. Um, another reminder, too, for the people in Central and Bayvert, a lot of people wondering what will happen with the ra- former Rambler mine. The deadline for bids is on Monday. So uh, after Monday, we'll have a clearer idea who's interested in operating it, taking it over and operating it. Again, this following very much the same process as the um, St. Lawrence Flores Bar mine, uh, which went through a sale and solicitation process, and eventually uh, they came up uh, with uh, selected one successful bidder, they call it, and that person, in St. Lawrence anyway, has uh, the company, um, has decided to, they're in the process of ramping her back up and producing the phosphorus, or the um, floor spar down there. And so uh, they're hoping to restart the Ming mine here, and the, um, the bidders, that is the, what is the, being favored by the court, or at least by the monitor for the court, and everybody wants to see it make 
uh, be successful so that, you know, any money that's owed can be paid back. And going forward, it could be a going and a profitable business again. And it has all that potential. So on that note, and of course, uh, cannot not take advantage of every show this week to mention the Jays. They pulled that one out last night, but um, well, not pulled it out. Eight to one is a good win. Uh, Kikuchi looked pretty good. And now they take on, they, they return home to Toronto tomorrow night for a three-game set with the Angels. And uh, my apologies if you're not a baseball person or even a Jays person, but I know a lot of people who are. And so uh, tomorrow night should be interesting. Of course, you got Shohei Otani, the arguably, no, the best player in baseball right now from maybe on the mound and at the plate. Um, and all the talk swirling around Otani about a possible trade. See, most people are advising the Angels against it, but uh, you can't. Uh, a lot of people believe this series with the Jays this weekend could determine whether or not the Angels are sellers or buyers. Because uh, if they lose three, then they're pretty much falling out of the wild card. Uh, anyway, on and on and on. Shohei Otani should be great if you're in Toronto this weekend, happen to be up for a Jays game. Chance to see the next one for sure. And moving on to probably something a little bit more, uh, sorry, very, it is a little bit more business like. Seeing reports today from various international business publications quoting Equinor again as saying they're still bullish, is one word that's being used. They're reiterating that they're fully committed to developing Badenord. Now, they've never said they weren't. They just said, uh, and they said it would happen. But uh, when it was hit the uh, Energy NL conference, like a bombshell. And you might recall, just back, I think it was back in early June. And we even had um, the, uh, the minister, Seamus O'Regan, calling the timing sadistic, you might remember. That came down on June 1st. And it was right in the middle of the conference and exhibition. And a lot of people didn't look kindly on it. And it really felt like, even though they were saying just a delay, um, a suspension. It felt uh, just uh, like it cut even deeper than that. But now it's on hold. And of course, some industry experts, um, you know, wonder what that means for other projects. But uh, today, uh, the CFO of Equinor, here's one quote from him. He said, there's no mystery to it other than we do think we can make it better by redesigning it and taking it out of a very heated market right now and place it in a time where it will work better. So uh, it feels like code for they're going to wait till the market and governments will only accept the cleanest stuff out there. So once everything else is weaned down, you're down to um, the, the, the regulations get even tighter and thinner and you have to have nothing but the cleanest stuff. And certainly the province and the government has uh, and the company has touted the oil that's uh, in Beta Nord as the cleanest, low carbon you can get. Maybe they're just way biding their time. Uh, it just feels like that, that the timing wasn't right and it will be soon. And of course, there's the development of it. So it has to be timing to a queue where it's when do we start it? When does the development end? When does the actual product flow? So anyway, someone with a lot more knowledge of that than me, um, we're going to have in a few minutes. Rob Strong is going to join me. Um, Rob with uh, Rob Strong and Associates. And funnily enough, I'm not going to tell you where he is, but he's in a Maybe you might find an unusual place for an oil and gas guy, but uh, we're going to talk to Rob after the break. I'm Brian Callahan on News Talking for Linda Swain. We'll be right back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. 
Welcome back to the program. Um, just as mentioned before the break, um, the news today uh, out of Oslo, really, where uh, Equinor officials were saying and reiterating their commitment to the Beta Nord project, um, despite some nervous ninnies in this part of uh, these parts. But uh, Rob Strong is on the line here now. Rob, uh, uh, with Rob Strong and Associates. Rob, how you doing? I'm fine, thanks. And you, Brian? Good, sir. Thanks for being available. Um, you're in Stephenville, so uh, I'll ask... What's a oil and gas guy like you doing in Stephenville? <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like to say I was looking for oil, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm here uh, having some meetings with the World Energy GH2 company, who are, as your listeners probably know, are one of the proponents for the major wind energy project. Yes, sir. And uh, finding fascinating, very interesting, Brian, a... Uh, uh, I'd put it in its context, and, and I know there are big differences, but, you know, when you look at Muskrat Falls, which is about 700 megawatts uh, of power, and then you look at the proposal for Stephenville, they're talking about 2 gigawatts, which is 2,000 megawatts. So that's almost three times the amount of power that we're getting out of Muskrat Falls. Mm-hmm. Now, albeit totally different, the... Uh, the World Energy GH2, of course, is to is to produce uh, hydrogen and convert it to ammonia for shipment. But a fascinating project. These guys are well organized. They have uh, lots of great plans. I also had the opportunity, besides meeting with the company, to spend some time this afternoon with the mayor and the economic development officer from the town of Stephenville. So, uh, a fascinating industry, to to say the least, and one I think all of us business people should be paying more attention to. I just find it uh, funny. I I remember back in 2000, Rob, um, I was in the Stephenville Theater Festival, and I just keep thinking to myself, wow, what a theater that is out there <laughs> right now with everything that's going on, whether it's the development of the airport, whether it's the development with wind. Um, it just seems like on bust, and it, it just strikes me. It's just funny that uh, uh, you mentioned the 2,000 megawatts. Uh, it should, you know, again, I know you said it, but it's, I think it, it was one of the conditions, was it not, uh, of the um, proposals that were solicited by the government that it, it has to be for export now, does it not? It, that's actually a, uh, not an option? Yeah, that's right. It's not going into the grid. Right. I guess the grid right now in Newfoundland is adequately serviced, although I did hear Jennifer Williams talking recently about in 10 years' time they'll be looking for some more power, yeah. and I gather they're reevaluating some of the existing power generation stations at Bayonora. But, but yeah, you're entirely correct. This, this power is going to be used to, and I'm far from a technical person on this, but basically they're going to take water, put the power to it, and separate the high hydrogen and then the hydrogen will be converted to ammonia which is far easier to ship so it's it's a massive project it's i mean we're talking a capital but the capex or capital of about 10 billion dollars we're talking about 3000 jobs during construction we're talking about 4 or 500 jobs during operations and they're direct jobs so it's it's a significant piece of business uh, there are i think 8 or 9 proposals before government now, and I understand there will be a decision by the end of August as to uh, who gets to go ahead. Uh, the other project I'm looking at while I'm on the West Coast, I'm going to Port of Basque tomorrow, where Fortescue, mm-hmm. FFI, Fortescue is a, a very That's large company based in Australia. They're one of the shortlisted. 
Yeah, they're shortlisted, so I want to I want to learn as much as I can from them as to what their plans are because, as I say, there are a lot of opportunities out here, and it's time that uh, some of us sort of switched a little bit, and we'll come back to oil and gas in a minute, but we also should be looking at the opportunities related to the development of air wind because God knows we've got enough wind. <laughs> in many ways and shapes and forms. Um, it's I think it just belies the fact that it comes down to people trying to get their head around the potential. I mean, still, just the presence of the German Chancellor, and not just the German Chancellor, but the, the CEOs of companies like Mercedes-Benz and these coming here, it wasn't just a, a theater, so to speak, that, you know, it just wasn't a show they put on. This is big time, and uh, it, it just made me wonder, too, Rob, I want to ask this, just while you were talking, also in Hydro's plans, I believe there's a, a plan to add another... Um, uh, turbine at uh, or another uh, generator a generating unit at Bay to Spear and they were talking about the money that would cost and it would go into that because of the uh, uh, predicted need for electricity in the future whether it's for cars or whatever electricity will be the go-to I mean do you think they could be rethinking those plans given the potential of of projects such as uh, uh, World Aid GH2 that's a very good question you know because uh, uh, right now, of course, Europe is in desperate need for 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 the hydrogen because uh, uh, they're they're switching from fossil fuels, and plus the war in Ukraine has disrupted their normal sources of gas. But certainly, if you look at all the proposals in the province, uh, GH2 is is uh, World Energy GH2 is I think two megs, FFI or Fortescue is two megs, ever ever Evergreen who are proposing something. Else on the Buren Peninsula. Ever wind or ever? That size. ever so wind. all of a sudden we're going to have all this power and does the hydrogen market need all that power? Yeah. And if it doesn't, why don't we produce power to feed into the grid if indeed the economics work? You have so to- you, you, you raise a very good question. Yeah, and you have to believe it's it's part of the machinations. I mean, why why would it not be at least a consideration? Um, you know, everybody's looking for the future, and Jennifer Williams made it clear. You know, it's all about electric. They need the capacity, and boys, we haven't even talked about Placentia. What's going on down there, and uh, and the uh, bringing in now of those large. Um, uh, oh, what are they called Monopile. again? Monopiles. Monopiles. Yeah. Monopiles. To to, yeah. to actually you know plant into the ocean floor so they've got that contract now um you're right though we're running really quick we're i mean it's hard not to talk about the potential of wind but i i do want to you know words are important and the words from equinor today i do believe it will happen it is important for newfoundland it is important for equinor i mean i just mentioned off the top just thinking that out loud that you know it seems like they're trying to get the timing right you know when is the most optimal time to have this low carbon fuel to come on stream and it would seem like it would be at the near end of any fossil fuels existing in the world again. You know, they want to wean it down to that point. Am I way off base on that? You're partially right. The other, the other question is, or the other, the other point is, of course, they have to get their costs under control. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, in mega projects like this, they they go back and they 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 re they they redo them. The, for instance, the the, the whole FPSO. Uh, as far as I recall, 
uh, was designed by a small company in, in, in Norway, and perhaps that design, that design that they came up with wasn't the right one. So you want to go back and re revisit the design. You want to go back and revisit the uh, production capacity, the storage capacity, and the constructability of it. And uh, secondly, you, uh, you know, costs, you got to get your costs under control. Yeah. I always use, when discussing this, I always use the, the, the analogy of, of, you know, three years ago, a deep water drilling rig that has to drill the wells was about $350,000 a day. I read just the other day, the same rig today is about $500,000 a day. And when you consider that there's a minimum of, I think, 64 wells in total currently planned, that may change indeed, but right now I think it's 64 wells. So, that, I mean, that's a, a large increase in costs. So people are looking at the cost. They're looking at the cost of steel. They're looking at the cost of labor. They're looking at the cost of, of subcontractors. And I think this, this, this lapse of two, maybe three years, is also uh, given them a chance to, to have have another look and see if they can get the cost down. Yeah, I, I, it does surprise me. As I said, you know, words matter. And, you know, you watch for it in politicians, you know, when you're trying to get a commitment from them. They used to say promise. They don't even go there now. It's a commitment, which, <laughs> which, which clears them from that, right? It's the off the hook. Um, yeah. But in this case, you know, when they say will happen, that's pretty definitive. And given the uncertainties... You know, is some of it just posturing? I mean, uh, $16 billion was the price tag a month ago. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, Equinor, of all the oil companies, of course, Equinor is one of the, in the top quarter, top, top. They're, you know, they're 67% owned by the Norwegian government, and they're publicly traded. So you, you, you have to be somewhat, re, you have to be responsible in your statement. So I don't think it's posturing. I, I think, you know, they, they're, they're, they're looking at a second project, that same press release and that same news story talked about Rosebank which is a, a floating production facility in the in the UK sector and that one has talked about having 350 million barrels well depending on who you believe on Bay the Nord I think that, I think Equinor and I stand to be corrected because I can't speak for Equinor obviously but I think Equinor are saying in excess of 500 million barrels of, of, of good quality crude so it's a resource and whether we like it or not fossil fuels are going to be around for a while uh, you know we're not going to cars are slowly switching to, to electricity but you know oil is a good feedstock for all your petrochemicals all your plastics and so on so in the next 30-40 years the, 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 the demands for oil will decrease but in the meantime if we have the oil and we can produce it responsibly environmentally responsible because that's that's the key why not let's do it let's, let's that hopefully Equinor gets their costs under control and it fits into their schedule and we see a resumption of the project in two to three years with a reasonable amount of local benefits. Yeah, one consistency has certainly been the time period. They continue to say three years, not even three or four or two or three, but three has been the only number. And again, the, the Rose Bank that you mentioned in the UK, um, you know, they're also, uh, <laughs> they'll never satisfy the climate change, um, uh, the campaigners in the UK, you know, the protesters, because you know, they want it stopped now, shut off the taps, and we all know the argument against that. I mean, how do you look at the 
everyday products that we use that you wouldn't be able to even produce anymore. But uh, not in a laughing way. All I mean is they want it to happen as soon as possible. So, you know, just so people know, it's uh, that's facing quite a, a pushback in the UK, just as Equinor has here. And, you know, it's funny. I, I look at Equinor. Uh, you make the point, you know. I mean, they're a good corporate citizen, very good corporate citizen. I mean, I just went to the Folk Festival a month ago on the weekend, and, you know, the whole thing, they were the major sponsor, and they were everywhere. And you wouldn't inject yourself into a community, I don't think, if you had plans on pulling up stakes real quick. But I know that's all on the surface kind of stuff. But, uh, Rob, I wanted to ask you one thing before I let you go. Um, your uh, consultancy business, Rob Strong and Associates, I'll plug it, why not, um, mentions with a specialization in oil and gas. So do you plan to change that moniker on your website anytime soon? <laughs> Well, I think I'm going to call myself a resource industry consultant. Yeah. So how about that? That covers off world. That covers off wind. Covers us oil and gas. So yep. yeah, uh, with your with your suggestion, I will change my logo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't do it on my account. But uh, it um, it seems to make uh, perfect sense. Uh, Rob Strong. Thanks. Well, like I said, words matter, right? So you know, there it is. Uh, Rob, thanks a lot. Enjoy the West Coast. I'll be out there next week. Okay, well, Callahan's a big name in, my, in this part of the world. You know that. Yeah, I'm intimately aware. <laughs> intimately aware. <laughs> okay, Brian. I use a pseudonym. <laughs> you take care. Enjoy the program. Thanks. Safe on the highway. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Thanks, Rob Strong uh, with uh, Rob Strong and Associates, um, giving his well-informed uh, opinion and view and um, and thoughts on Equinor today, reiterating that they are committed to Beta Nord. It's almost up to the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a short break for news. I'm Brian Callahan on News Talk. We'll be right back. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Thank you very much, Richard Duggan. Uh, Brian here back on News Talk in for Linda Swain and uh, boy you talk about running the gamut of topics here on News Talk Um, not sure if you've been watching this week but anyway I'm flicking around and CNN back to sports back to CNN back to a few other news channels and lo and behold there's live coverage of the US, US congressional hearings on Well, there's lots of acronyms for it these days, but UFOs. Now, we're not going to go all the way down the rabbit hole of UFOs today, but I'll tell you, if, um, I mean, anyone who thinks it's impossible for there to be life beyond us or some kind of um, existence beyond me, uh, given the unknown, I mean, how can you rule it out? Seems like clear that, like, anything over time, people want to talk, and now people are. And yesterday at the congressional hearings, and this week, You have uh, naval pilots, uh, former naval pilots, retired uh, officers of the military, just basically saying, you know, they have, they don't want to not say what they saw. And there was a time they couldn't. And for a long time, you know, these things are kept um, under wrap, under, you know, under top secret. Uh, There's expiry dates and how long something can go on. But I guess, you know, you just weren't going to keep this quiet forever. And some of the video and some of the evidence that they have is pretty pretty overwhelming for its in, in you know inexplicability on just no explanation for it the speeds that they can, these things can uh, these objects can move and stop on a dime and all the rest um, and so um, it gave got me to thinking about um, uh, the late night mornings I used to sit up and watch Jeff Sterling interview and our former RC uh, uh, well at the time an RCMP officer out in Clarenville who anybody of my vintage or a little bit older probably knows exactly what I'm talking about, those late-night Jeff Sterling interviews. And uh, Jim Blackwood 
was the RCMP officer who back in 78 uh, first spotted, well, was one of many people to spot the UFO in the Clarenville area. And Jim is on the line right now. Jim, how are things in Nova Scotia today? Uh, we're a little bit hotter than you. We're at 82 here. <laughs> well, are you hope you're drier. Although you're not really around the Halifax. You're more Picto County, are you? Yeah, we did. We got lots of rain, but we didn't get any flooding here. Well, lucky to that. But yeah. So um, while you haven't been worrying about that, you've been watching little TV yourself. What do you make of, the, um, of some of the testimony uh, and the firsthand accounts uh, of these pilots and what they saw? Well, it's about time that uh, these people were allowed to open up about this stuff you know i i know uh, at the time when it happened to me i i had a conversation with my staff sergeant whether i should or not you know so we just went ahead of it but uh i took a lot of teasing and ribbing over it and i know these guys in the military in the states uh they would but their jobs would have been on the line yeah. and you know at the uh it's it's uh, nice to see that they're allowed to speak. Yeah, and they have the stuff to back. They have the evidence to back it up too. This is not completely just sitting down and, and making something up. And you know the reputation goes behind it. Sometimes the news organization will say these aren't just everyday civilians who were happening along. These were decorated military people who uh, it's eating them up inside, and they just got to talk about it because there's no explanation. I should say as it was 42 years ago um, in Clarenville when when you saw what you saw. Just remind. The, the listeners that this is what it's all about remind the listeners what you can recall I we don't have we don't have all day here but what you can recall specifically about what you saw well uh, I was just getting off work I dropped my partner off uh, and it was around five to two in the morning I think it was the 26th of uh, October 78 and uh, I went in the office and the phone was ringing and so rather than let the tape recorder take it and uh, had the member on call go, I grabbed the phone and I answered the call myself. And they said there's something flying around the sky down here. Uh, it was in uh, on Marine Drive in Clarenville. Was right on the water there in the little harbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, so I I took a drive down and uh, sure enough, uh, it was just descending at the time. And uh, and the guy that was with me, uh, uh, Mr. Lethbridge, he. Uh, he gave me his binoculars to look at it and uh you could see it quite clearly and uh so i ran back to the police station in the police car and it was only uh, we're looking at about a three minute drive tops and i gr grabbed a telescope that we had on loan and uh, i got to view it through that uh, but it stayed there for like about an hour and a half uh, just moving back and forth and uh and I activated my overhead lights, uh, the red and blue lights we had, and uh, uh, it re reciprocated by activating the same color lights back at me. And, uh, and of course, Mr. Lesford said, what are you doing? I said, I was trying to make contact. I was just mesmerized by it. And uh, he said, well, you make contact. We're going home. <laughs> I only, you know, I just can't imagine if it was today with social yeah. media, with video, with cameras. But well, anyway. yeah, back then we didn't yeah. have it. Like I didn't even have a camera in the car, and uh, yeah, and they were, they were black and white film back then, and we didn't have the apparatuses to uh, no dash cam. No, not, <laughs> no, no. And somebody said, uh, made a comment. Uh, Oh, why didn't you radio somebody? Well, there was nobody to radio because our, our radio coverage was just in the Clarenville area itself. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, so, and it's still as vivid today as it was then. I oh, doubt yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, there was a drawing made of it. I have it on my wall here, a large uh, color drawing, and they used that drawing for... Uh, the coin that came out. That's right. The Canadian Mint uh, issued a commemorative coin in recognition of the incident. Gives it, you know, almost felt. I remember interviewing you two years ago when that happened, or three years ago now, yeah. when that happened. And um, you know, it was, it's nice, I guess, in a way, to have it recognized in that way too. I mean, uh, you know, and I think it was Fogo Island's um, Adam Young did the artwork on that. Yes, he did. Yeah, and you know, I just found out uh, today a friend of mine who's also from. Uh, I grew up here in Stellarton, and. Um, and a friend of mine, Bob McKinnon, he's from Stellarton, and he had a sighting in 1970 in uh, in Logie Bay, him and his right. partner, and uh, and the same thing happened to them. They uh, they were using their sirens and lights, and it was uh, sending noises back to them. Plus, they activated the only roof light they had was a little cherry, and they and they, it responded again to them. You know, that was eight years before my sighting. Yeah, it just uh, it uh, the the fact that uh, these incidents continue to occur and until now, really. I mean, even now, I mean, you still have people looking at that, watching the congressional hearings and shaking their heads. But back in the day, boy, there was no tolerance for that, and you were you were going in for a medical, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. If you went, if you went, I to was surprised because you know uh, at the time. Um uh, Dick O'Neill was uh, with VOCM back then. Yeah, that's and, right, I remember. Yeah, and, and he uh, he wanted to interview me. Of course, I said no because uh, I didn't have any uh, permission yeah. to do any interviews. But and, somebody uh, I mentioned before the break, somebody uh, somebody intervened, didn't they? Yes, uh, Jeff Sterling uh, wanted to interview me, and I, of course I said no. And he he called somebody in headquarters, and uh, <laughs> and next thing you know, I was sitting in the staff sergeant's office with the cameras on me, <laughs> Do, doing the interview that you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, and you know uh, they wanted to vi- vi- uh, to watch the video first, and then. Uh, they would take parts out they wanted to take out, but uh, Jeff told me they didn't touch it. They left it go as it was. Yeah, and he played it ad nauseum uh, between 2, 3, and 4, 5 in the morning, overnights. Oh, I know. For I years. And years. Yeah, they would call me and say, you know, I just saw you on TV, but I never saw it until, uh, oh, I think it was, uh, oh, it must have been about 20 years ago, maybe less than that. I uh, sent an email to Jeff Sterling, and I mentioned to him that... Uh, I never ever seen the the uh, video, and he had it uh, pure later to my house. Yeah, that's a great story. I didn't. I don't think you've ever mentioned that before. That's great. And so yeah. you have it now. Oh, I have it now. Yeah, he his engineer made a copy for me, and uh, and it was pure later right to the house. Is that a, a re, is that a, like recent VHS sort of thing, or is it's a, it's VHS. It's an old and, VHS, yeah. And his calling card is in the is in the cover. Wow. Essay and another keeper. But a lot of change. A lot. How? I'm just curious. I won't keep you much longer. But it must have. When you think about how it's changed your life, just being in that moment at that time. Well, for the first, for the first few months, all I did was sit home and talk on the phone yeah. to every newspaper from all around the world, and uh, even the National Enquirer. I even got made it in there. And uh, BBC wanted to do a documentary on me a couple of years later, but they turned that down. They wouldn't let me do that one. Well, uh, the most important thing is you did VOCM, and you've done it again today. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'll be I'll, I'm coming through on a road trip in the next couple of weeks. Maybe I'll look you up and stop in and say hi. Yeah, and you can uh, maybe you can feed my raccoons I got here. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a video. That's all I'm going to say. If anyone oh, yeah, wants I to, got, go- <laughs> I have 30 of them here now. <laughs> oh my God, you got a, a small army of your own. Um, Jim, uh, thanks a lot for always being available and for talking about this again. It's, it's just incredible. Always piques people's curiosity and fascination about what's out there, you know. So um, I think there's something out there. What it is remains to be seen. Uh, thanks again very much for doing it. Um, enjoy the rest of your afternoon in Peak County. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks. That's Jim Blackwood, uh, former RCMP in Clarenville area, 42 years ago, spotted the UFO uh, in the area and has been um, nagged by journalists and media ever since. Sorry, Jim. But uh, we do thank him for coming on again today. Up Right up to a break. Look at that, Greg. Right on the quarter. Uh, let's take a short one, and uh, we'll be right back on News Talk. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Into the home stretch for Thursday afternoon. Uh, take us up to uh, the day in review at 5. And um, last thing, I just want to get in this, uh, squeeze this in today. So the PM, Prime Minister Trudeau, would be remiss if we didn't mention that he was in the province today, uh, in Central, along with um, Ministers Seamus O'Regan and Goody Hutchings. Newly minted Seamus with the seniors portfolio now on top of Labour, and Goody Hutchings uh, having ACOA added to her responsibilities as a Rural Minister for Rural Development. And they were meeting with workers in the area, uh, and voters, of course. And, of course, this is right in the backyard of Conservative MP Clifford Small, the only Conservative MP in the province. So um, interesting. And uh, tri- Prime Minister Trudeau, what, what that says about the riding and whether or not um, they're looking to either win it back or give them a run or what it says about polling. I'll leave that for now because there's not even an election call. But um, the Prime Minister did hold a media availability, took questions uh, when he got to Summerford, uh, New Orleans Island, uh, after meeting with workers at a local business. Um, and yeah, he took questions from reporters, um, beginning with um, my media colleague, Sarah Smelly, with the Canadian Press. Uh, you've said that a minister's presence in your cabinet in- indicates your confidence in them. David Lametti is no longer in cabinet. Why did you lose confidence in him? Um, David Lametti has been an extraordinary team member and will continue to be uh, a great member of the Liberal team for many years to come. He has uh, led on uh, important files around justice and reconciliation that was uh, a significant, a significant positive transformation of uh, the, uh, the country that we're in and uh, is looking towards the future uh, with uh, a lot of optimism across, uh, across the board. That's what Canada is and that's uh, why I've built a cabinet that is going to be uh, position to grow and continue to build uh, great opportunities for Canadians uh, from coast to coast to coast. Uh, a U.S. Senator lambasted Canada yesterday for not living up to NATO and NORAD spending priorities. How do you respond to American accusations that you've been trying to water down Ottawa's commitments? 
Uh, we've invested massively in NORAD modernization just earlier this year, and we're continuing to step up uh, in our NATO commitments. When I was in uh, Lithuania just a few weeks ago for the NATO summit, uh, Canada was key uh, in uh, pushing for more support for Ukraine, a steadfast set of security guarantees. Uh, we were instrumental in making sure that uh, Sweden has a path directly to joining NATO as quickly as possible. We continue to be there uh, in Latvia as we elevate our presence there to a brigade size. We continue to engage around the world, even as we continue to procure uh, the kinds of equipments that uh, the Canadian Armed Forces are going to need to continue to do their work, whether it's 88 new fighter jets, uh, whether it's NORAD modernization, whether it's the Defense Innovation uh, Accelerator for the North Atlantic in Halifax, uh, whether it's the uh, Center for Climate Security, uh, the NATO Center for Climate Security in Montreal. Uh, we're going to continue to step up in this time of uh, increased concerns around security everywhere around the world. Uh, there are a lot of people in this province, uh, particularly in the rural areas, that rely on the oil and gas industry for their livelihood, and they feel like their industry is under attack. Uh, how would you expect their votes when you, a lot of your policies could hurt their livelihood? Well, first of all, climate change is a fact that nobody, except for conservative politicians, is debating anymore. The impact of the forest fires in uh, in, Nuf in, uh, in Nova Scotia, the uh, Hurricane Fiona that just caused devastated devastation in Port of Basque, uh, record floods, record rain rainfalls. Uh, the impacts of climate change are here, and the world is taking notice. And that's why Europe is not just choosing to get off of Russian oil and gas. They're trying to accelerate the transition uh, to alternative lower carbon solutions. And Canada can and will be a part of that. We've been there to be a partner for the oil and gas industry as we work to decarbonize, to reduce the carbon emissions associated with the oil and gas that the world's going to need for the coming years. We figure out how to rely more on renewables investments here at Cottles Island Lumber Company and the pellet uh, factory is a pellet plant is a recognition of the fact that the world is changing and people know that they want to change. Now there are folks out there who still say oh no 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 you know what these are just inventions by government in Ottawa that are trying to come after your jobs. Well, those people aren't being honest with you. They're not preparing people across the country in energy sectors for not just the challenges of the future, but the incredible opportunities in the future. I was in Stephenville last year with the Chancellor of Germany, who is incredibly excited about Newfoundland know-how and ability to generate hydrogen from offshore wind. We've seen uh, the come-by-chance uh, biofuels. Uh, refinery as it's moving forward. There are great jobs and great opportunities in a world that is changing. And the debate right now going on politically seems to be between those who are lying to workers and telling them that the world's not going to change and everything's going to stay the way it was, versus those of us in government who are saying, yes, the world is changing, but we are incredibly well positioned to benefit, to grow, to create and lead on that change because of the hard work of Canadians, the innovation, the commitment to building better futures for our kids and our grandkids. The choice Canadians are increasingly facing in politics is between responsible, ambitious, forward-thinking government that is preparing for the opportunities of the future 
and a party that is stoking anger and fear, throwing up its hands, saying everything is broken. I'll reflect the anxiety everyone's feeling into anger. Won't provide any solutions, but we'll all get mad as hell together. That's not how you build a country. That's not how Newfoundland became the extraordinary province that it is. That's not how these communities get built when you're talking about four generations of an extraordinary local business like Cuddles Island Lumber. People deserve a government and a political vision that reflects their own vision of an ambitious, better future for their kids and grandkids. That's what we're focused on. That's why we're working with communities, putting more money in families' pockets, even as we build a brighter future with great jobs for everyone. Uh, you announced yesterday uh, you're going to establish a new uh, <clears throat> a national security council. Uh, why do you need one now? How will it work and who will be on it? Over the past uh, number of years, we have significantly invested in uh, strengthening our ability to respond to national security concerns. We know there have been real challenges increasingly from uh, foreign states who uh, want to destabilize uh, our democracies from uh, internal actors who are uh, trying to sow chaos. We have needed to strengthen our capacity to do that. One of the big debates we had when we replaced the Conservative government of Stephen Harper was the need to put parliamentarians in charge of overseeing our national security agencies. Stephen Harper and Pierre Polyev didn't want that. And yet we created a National Security Committee of Parliamentarians where parliamentarians from every party get to come together and see everything that our top national security agencies, all our national agencies, are doing. They have the security clearance to be able to make sure that everything is being done to protect Canadians and everything uh, is uh, being done in according to the protections and the values of Canadians. That was a huge innovation we brought in a few years ago. We're now looking at building a further National Security Council that will have a role of overseeing and setting strategic direction for the new and real security challenges that countries like Canada are increasingly facing. Uh, it is an additional tool on top of the other ones we have that we're very excited about presenting to Canadians, but uh, we're uh, working right now. We'll be making an announcement in the coming weeks uh, about how it's going to work. The latest data from Statistics Canada shows an increase in uh, violent crime in Canada. Uh, how are you going to ask your new minister to tackle this, and do you have any possible solutions? We've been working with uh, provinces uh, across the country on bail reform. We've been working on uh, strengthening the ways of supporting Canadians because it is not right that in far too many of our cities we're seeing an uptick in violent crime. And there's all sorts of different factors that go into that. Um, the need for bail reform is one of them. The uh, challenges on mental health that have come out of the pandemic in these difficult years, these are all things we have to respond to. But it's not just about stepping up on the security side, although that is important and we're doing that. It's also about creating greater opportunities for youth to be part of community organizations and, and uh, have the kind of mentorship and guidance that keeps them uh, out of a life of, of gangs and crime. It's about making sure uh, that we're investing in safer communities uh, in all sorts of different ways with better mental health supports, better, uh, better community and frontline workers. It's more work on, uh, on harm reduction in terms of the opioids epidemic that's devastating far too many communities across the country. We're going to continue to take an evidence-based approach that is there, is present, working with municipalities and provinces 
to keep our communities safe, to keep Canadians safe, because that's one of the fundamental jobs any government has. That is the uh, Prime Minister of Canada, uh, Pierre, or Pierre, I said it, I knew I was going to do it. How old am I? I gave away my age. Pierre's son, Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he, he was in Summerford, New World Island today. Oh my, crazy from the heat. Um, and it's almost Friday. Anyway, they were meeting with local workers there today, joined, of course, by Minister Seamus O'Regan and Goody Hutchings. That'll just about do it uh, for News Talk today, uh, Thursday edition. Uh, in for Linda Swain, I'm Brian Callahan, and um, let's see. Tomorrow, this is Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. What do I have for tomorrow? We're going to carry on with a, uh, a conversation about UFOs, actually. But I'll keep you. Po- I'll keep you. Um, keep. I'll keep the suspense riveting, and uh, you'll have to tune in to find out which province in Canada is best poised to survive an alien invasion. I'll leave it at that. That's it for News Talk. Drive safely, arrive live. VOCM cares.